KMOX at your service. Welcome to the Helitech Waterproofing Home Improvement Show, presented by Gutterworks. Here's your host, Scott Mosby, on KMOX. All right, full hour questions, answers, all kinds of pet and favorite products, how we're going to take care of our homes and get ready for entertaining maintenance, maybe remodeling the bathroom, kitchen, lower level, second, whatever it is. This is University of KMOX. I am Scott Mosby at your service. Ten phone lines wide open for you. This is what we're going to do now from noon to 1 o'clock here. 314-436-7900-436-7900. Toll-free 800-925-1120. And we're going to talk about all sorts of things. Uh, Also, uh, one of the things that uh, is important, uh, uh, actually, I get some requests for, uh, there are seminars that happen about every month or two, uh, and the uh, next seminar coming up is August 24th on exteriors. So how this all works out, windows, siding, roofing, gutters, attic, ventilation, you know, all those things, exterior design. How do you get a really good-looking house? Because if you're going to get siding, windows, sh- whatever that stuff is, If you do the right color combination, and it's one of my pet peeves because roofing is like, tell me what color roof you want, we'll put it on. Holy smokes, man, the roof is oftentimes 20 to 30 to 40 percent of the outside presentation of that home. And if you get a good color that coordinates with the brick or the siding or whatever it is, you add value for no extra money. Anyway, the point being is good design, color selection, and coordination, exterior design is, is extra value. And it, it costs no more to get it right. Uh, so I, I I really am not pleased when I hear roofers say, you tell me what color you want and we'll put it on. It's like, eh, basically, you're on your own. You know, you're not going to get any help on colors. Uh, take it seriously. So get some help, uh, whether it's a neighbor, a designer, if you have some art inclination. The science of color and color families is... Um, it, it's a process. So there's an answer. There's a right answer. There are a lot of right answers, and there are a lot of wrong answers. So, um, you know, for example, I'm going to exaggerate to make my point. Purple siding, probably not going to be a high return on investment on purple siding, even though you could get a mechanical material that lasts 40 years very handsomely. Yeah, it'll, it'll provide the exterior. But if it's ugly, you just paid a lot of money to go backwards and subtract value from it. Anyway, so that's, uh, the exterior seminar is August 24th, 8-24, August 24th, Lodge de Pair, 10-30 are the doors open, and you can find out more at callmosby.com website, C-A-L-L-M-O-S-B-Y.com. Anyway, so we're at your service there. Uh, let's see what's cooking here. I'm going to get, let's go right to our phone lines. I'm kind of excited to uh, get my buddies back on the line here. Let's talk with Connie. Hey, Connie, Scott Mosby, how can I help? Hi, Scott. I've got a question. Um, we're planning to retire and relocate to another state. So we're starting to look online at houses. And I've noticed that a lot of the houses where we want to move to have popcorn ceilings. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not worried about asbestos because most of these houses are built, you know, well after like 1990. Okay. But and I know they can be removed, scraped and removed, and we would hire a professional to do it before we ever moved in. Okay. Um, but my question is, when they're scraped and removed, am I going to be happy with the result 
I mean, does a drywaller have to come in and, like, skim coat that and then prime it and paint it? Yes. Or does it look like crap and I just won't be happy with the finished product? Would it be better to just cover it with new drywall, or what's your opinion? It's all about the expectations, Connie. If you want a smooth... um a uh, nice surface, that's new drywall. Uh, you just knock down, get the big chunks off, and then re-drywall over it. Oftentimes, I'll say, well, we'll put quarter-inch or three-eighths inch thin drywall instead of the half-inch. That's a mistake. You need thicker drywall to not get weight. Because if you put paper on it and you're only nailing it every 16 inches, you'll get wavy, thin drywall. Now... That being said, if you put some sort of a light texture or subtle texture, even a swirl finish or, um, you know, sometimes a skip trowel finish, those surfaces look fantastic uh, over, you know, you knock off the popcorn and off you go. But if you're trying to get to a smooth, you know, what we kind of expect around St. Louis here, that's new drywall, but there are half a dozen good textured finishes that, you don't have to have those big chunks of texture. And keep in mind, there are three sizes of spray-on texture. One is just tiny little dots. The other is kind of, me, you know, medium sand size. And then the big, the coarse, uh, is uh, those are the big, ugly ones. That Those are actually acoustical finishes to knock up and break up the sound waves. That's the primary purpose of that. And, you know, actually bad drywallers and developers started using that because you can do a really bad drywall job and cover up all those sins. So again, uh, be beware. It, it all depends what you want on the other side as to what process you use to get there. Okay. Well, um, are the you're talking about like a swirl finish or something with just a little bit of texture in it? Yeah. Are those still pretty popular? I, I mean, I'm thinking of like the old school stomped ceiling, and those seem like those are kind of falling out of favor. But what you're talking about is something a little more subtle than the old stomped style? Yeah, the stomped is what your crow's foot, you know, that that's pretty tacky. That's as ugly as the popcorn stuff. Uh, but Yeah, that was my feeling. Just And just from the question, the, the interest that you're trying to, you're asking me with this behind all that you're going to want something that looks good. You'll you'll find it out there. My point is, is it's not just perfectly flat, smooth, you know, high-dollar new drywall. These guys typically in neighborhoods that have a lot of this uh, popcorn ceiling usually have pretty good drywall painter, and they're usually found in the painter guys. The, the painters will typically, well, better, yeah, pardon me with that, I, I insulted half of the market on painters. There's the top half of the painters that have those talents to swirl and retexture and do all that and guide you through that. And then there are the paint applicators that have no business doing any of this. Generally, okay, so I wouldn't necessarily need like a drywall finisher to no. do that job. You, okay, you will if you want a smooth surface and you're applying a new laminate, you're putting new drywall over. If you really want uh-huh. a smooth one, you need a drywall guy and then the painter. If you're going to okay. retexture it and accept something less than really new, flat, smooth, um, I would, you know, I would start with just a really, you know, the top quarter of okay. painting quality. Could I have one more question, please, sir? Yes, you may. Some of these houses, too, we're seeing plumbing that's not copper. It's called CPVC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm a, what do you know about that? I'm a little bit leery about it because I'm, like, old school. It's like copper's been around forever, and I trust copper. Do you know What do you know about CPVC plumbing? Uh, CPVC is okay. Uh, it got... It is more prevalent in lower labor skill states. 
Uh, so when you're in the Rust Belt here in the Midwest, we have a whole bunch of craftsmen. Sw- soldering copper is, you know, just automatic to us. Then you get down to Florida, Arizona, in the boom areas where it built so fast, uh, they couldn't train tradesmen fast enough. And th- so their plumbers started putting together CPVC because it was faster, cheaper. Uh, that being said, I don't like it quite as much as copper. But it's not, it's, it's a good second choice. Uh, and you have to watch out for the alkalinity. Sometimes when you're on the sand, the chemicals in the sand will eat up copper. So oftentimes artificial materials are a better choice than copper. I see. And how does it, we, we also want to have a water softener. Does it interact with like soft water any better or worse than copper? Nope. Plaster works it out just well. It, you just need, it's important to start with a plumber when you're down there or a home inspector. Most of the home inspectors, when you buy these houses, they will chapter and verse tell you about uh, the, the water softeners, the piping, CPVC versus copper, what goes and why. Um, but if, if you get with one of the ASHI, ASHI, American Society of Home Inspectors, uh, those guys are properly trained and experienced, and and they're kind of your, you know, your eyes and ears, if you will. So I, I lean okay, on that great. home inspector really hard, and you'll be okay. Okay, thank you so much, and thank you for the bonus question. Oh, you bet, Connie. Take care. Bye. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. I am at your service just for you. All right, back together, we have one hour here, Home Improvement. This is the Helitech Home Improvement Show, uh, sponsored in part by Gutterworks. Let's go right to the phone lines, fire it up, get Drew on the line. Hey, Drew, Scott Mosby, how can I help? Hey, Scott, how are you today? Fantabulous. Happy Saturday, brother. Yeah, thank you. Love your show. Listen all the time. Thank Listen, you. I've got some 12-inch slate tiles I want to lay on concrete floor, and I painted the floor with red guard, but... I'm not sure which type of mortar to set them in. Uh, uh, tell me more about RedGuard. Uh, what product is that? I don't recognize the name. It's a waterproofing crack membrane to put on the concrete, so it ho- hopefully doesn't uh, get a crack through the tiles if you have a crack underneath it. Is it a suitable? Is it made for putting underneath ceramic tiles? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, so there will be a specific kind of. Uh, bedding compound to go with that red guard material. That's the one to use because that is something that rides on top of the concrete and then, so it's a chemical material, and then the mortar, bonding, mastic, whatever the product is, has to get along chemically with that coating you just applied. So when you make a decision on that red guard, you now have made a decision on what the bedding compound is also that has to get along with the slate product that you're doing. So... Gotcha. You okay. see what I mean? Uh, yep. Once you buy a Ford yeah. car, you need to buy Ford parts, you know, and stay in, in that that family, if you will. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Thank and, you much. And, and watch your mortar, too, Drew, because uh, sometimes, uh, keep in mind, you're going to have some mortar joints in there, and that mortar now needs to get along with the bedding compound of the slate, which needs to get along with that waterproofing uh, red guard material. So um, it, it, make, sure you, <laughs> make sure you get that right, because there are... Two or three ways to get it right and 97 ways to get it wrong. All right, perfect. Thank you. All right, Drew. Good luck, my friend. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. 
Next up, let's talk to my buddy Tom. Hey, Tom, happy Saturday. Lunchtime, KMOX, how can I help, sir? Happy Saturday to you. Um, also a longtime listener. Thanks for taking my call. Um, <clears throat> we are hearing a noise. It's a mechanical noise. Uh, we can identify that it's a motor. Um, it, it, it is intermittent and um, can't predict when it will will hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can hear it shut off. It's not the furnace. I've had our, just yesterday, had our AC checked in a service call and could find nothing there. Can't imagine it's the water heater. Um, some pump doesn't run. The dehumidifier that we have in the basement um, is shut off. Uh, <clears throat> we can't identify what it is, but in the middle of the night or morning, <laughs> it's very annoying. Okay. What and does I, it sound I don't know like, where else to look. What does it sound it, like, what? Tom? What kind of a sound? Hmm. And so there's a definite shutoff. Um, I, I can't identify anything else mechanical. Do you have an irrigation? Do you have a lawn irrigation system? Uh, yes, we are in a, an attached villa condo association. There is a there is a, an irrigation system. Okay, if but there, it, it go ahead, it goes off. It goes off at various times during the day. Our irrigation system. Well, yeah, but there could be a motor that's trying to circulate. Well, don't, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, no, no. Don't me as well. My apologies. Don't limit this to a motor. This is something that makes noise. It isn't necessarily electrical. So the pulsing of an irrigation sprinkler head can sound and make that sound. Anything that touches that metal ductwork system will resonate throughout the house and dropping a pin in the ductwork will be, you know, you'll you'll hear it at 2 a.m. when everything else is quiet. So think outside the box, more motors, irrigation, um, could okay. be a bath vent fan, could be a, um, uh, a pre-blower that start, it could be your furnace that the air conditioning's not on, but for example, um, a furnace in the middle of the winter, the blower will go on first. And then the furnace goes on to heat so that it doesn't overheat the furnace. Or, you know, anyway, just my point is, is widen your right. expect. It could be okay. a dryer. It could be a, um, a, um, a auto circ, a, a circle. If you have instant hot water throughout the house, uh, that motor is an intermittent motor. It goes on occasionally. And if that metal uh, copper pipe just happens to touch anywhere in the house, that ductwork, if that circ pump goes on, you'll it'll be like a hammer going off in the middle of the night. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll just keep um, we'll keep listening and. Yeah, it's a process of eliminating. Sure. I'd start writing it down. Um, and okay. the problem with this uh, is that it can happen. It can happen outside the house. I, what I'm, you know, so if if you have a plumbing supply water pipe that just touches that ductwork. And that sprinkler head goes off, you know, 100 feet outside the house. The p- 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 wow. that'll, that will yep. resonate yep. throughout every outlet in your house inside. So uh, believe me, I feel your pain, man. You're, you're, <laughs> you're in big leagues here. <laughs> well, I sure appreciate your suggestions. Yeah, just go, just widen, let go of any assumption you have and start looking for anything that might 
run and make noise. And, and here you go. Here's another one. Just the water supply in the middle of the night. Keep in mind that Missouri American Water has pumps and pressurizes those pipes out in the street. And if that pressure and that sound will resonate all the way through copper lines inside the house. So things right. happening 100 feet outside the house or miles from your house can affect that. So don't... Yeah. It it could be anything, anywhere. Okay, all right. And with I appreciate that, your ideas. Yeah, happy hunting, Tom. Man, you're you're <laughs> uh, you're in the PhD level of sound here. <laughs> all right, thank you, Scott. All right, bye now. Okay, bye bye. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, KMOX. Believe me, I've been through some of these dances. We do consulting visits at Mosby Building Arts because there were things like this where we just couldn't figure it out. And I would say, oh gosh, out of 100 things that we went out to solve, we'd solve 96 of them. Uh, and four out of 100 uh, would get into uh, usually electromagnetic waves. We never could quite figure that out. Uh, people that could, ha couldn't sleep. And, and then chemical sensitivities that uh, people, allergies that just could no longer live in the house. But, I mean, we figured out snakes coming in, houses that, you know, were uh, some really weird things. I mean, if you love figuring things out, we're your guys because those are the employees that love to work for Mosby because it's not the same thing every day. Anyway, that's where we get the reputation. Home Improvement Camoex, Scott Mosby, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. I am at your service right here on Camoex. All right, here we are back together. Hour two, the Helitech Home Improvement Show right here on Camoex. Let's see what's cooking with my buddy here, uh, Vicki. Hey, Vicki, Scott, happy Saturday. How can I help? Hi, Scott. I have a, uh, my home was 15 years old and we built it. We have a glass block window in the master bath. Uh -huh. And within the last six months, it has started leaking when it rains real hard. So the water will pool on the um, ledge on the inside. And I was just wondering, do they wear out? Do they need to be replaced? You know, uh -huh. I don't know what to be causing it. Uh, what is the outside? Is it a brick home or is it a siding home? Vinyl. Vinyl, vinyl on the outside. Oh, where that window is, yeah. Can you see on that window whether it's coming through the mortar between the blocks or around the outside? I can't. All I can tell you is that you know has that little uh, metal lip on the inside from the window, yeah. and it seems to be all along the bottom of that window. I would say it's coming in from the bottom somewhere. Yeah. Okay, uh, that you've answered what I need to know. This is a vinyl siding issue. Just okay. understand, water gets behind vinyl siding. Uh, mm -hmm. And glass block windows, uh, and 16 years ago, uh, we just didn't flash windows inside. So my point to you is, I don't think your glass block window is leaking. I think the perimeter around the outside of that glass block is now uh, either the caulk failed or some tape or sealer is now allowing water to get. Because I will say that this is a common issue with all windows, all doors, and you happen to have a glass block window. Most windows don't leak through the window window. They leak around the perimeter of how they're installed. Very, mm -hmm. very commonly do they leak. Okay. So, uh, All right. 
my point is, is you're probably looking for somebody not glass block related, more vinyl siding repair to pull the siding off on the outside. When you find the right one, they'll know how to go about it. But basically, pull the vinyl siding off around the outside and figure out why the water is now coming in that window. Okay, that's what I need to do. Thank you so much for your help. You're welcome, Vicki. Thanks for the question. Right. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye now. And again, it's uh, again it, the at, right at fifteen years. Um, yeah, th- those are the magical numbers for houses because the air conditioning starts to wear out. You know, the roof is starting to pick up some mold and mildew. It's not as pretty as it once was. The paint has probably been painted a few times. Uh, gutters are starting to look amiss. Whatever, all the appliances in the kitchen, washer, dryer, vent fan, all those things are starting to get tired. So again, uh, that's when the leaks typically happen. And if you've got, uh, depending on how good a products you were used when that house was built, um, somewhere between 15 and 23 years, a lot of stuff gets replaced. And when you get into glass block windows, seldom do I see or we see, you know, the glass block itself leaking. It's how it was set into that opening. When it's a brick house, then the masons, you know, commonly it's a brick mason that sets that glass block window. They know exactly how to put that in. But when you're doing a tag team match between the wood framing guy that made that wood opening for that glass block window, then you set the glass block window into there, and then you have the vinyl siding come out, and he puts something on, and then you've got the tile around the inside of the shower or, you know, bathroom. Oh, my gosh. Um, the problem comes from the coordination or lack of coordination between those various trades, which is why uh, small jobs need a, uh, an orchestra conductor or what typically is a general contractor. But most people don't realize the difference between a guy who calls those four tradesmen and a real general contractor that knows what to expect from each of those tradesmen and how to coordinate and communicate how to make that window not leak. Um, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120. Let's go uh, visit with my buddy Gary. Hey, Gary, Scott here. How can I help, sir? Another uh, question about popcorn ceiling. Oh, isn't that a joyous thing? (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, I live in a log cabin out in the sticks. Okay. And the house is built about in 79. Okay. And there's popcorn ceiling in every room. And I've got about three locations where it looks like it's starting to peel, like it's breaking loose from the, uh, from the ceiling. Very, a couple of very minor spots, but uh, I've got one spot that is probably... <laughs> It's about uh, 10 inches by about 16 inches where it's exposed the drywall. And uh, my son just gave me his opinion, thinking that it looks like it was applied directly to the drywall ceiling. There was nothing That's separating a- the uh, like the layer of paint and, and popcorn or whatever that they put up there. That's a fact. I mean, is that... A, is that Yep. That's common? Yeah, I'm not going to have good... I don't have anything that you're going to want to hear. <laughs> well, um, my, my, son, my son's telling me I should, I should scrape it all down and get rid of it. Uh, that's kind of true. Here's, here's the process on popcorn ceilings, especially out in the uh, outlying areas. Um, 
it, the advantage of a popcorn sprayed texture sealing is you don't have to prime it. You really don't have to do a really good drywall finish job on it either because you're going to spray all this rough surface stuff on it. And you really don't have to get the dust off the ceiling that happens during the construction process. If they didn't clean the substrate or primer it, which is common, nobody ever primed it. They just came in and started blowing this stuff on the ceiling. So what you're experiencing is they blew your popcorn ceiling over the dusty drywall. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And your drywall, the, the acoustical Popcorn is going to ruthlessly stick to every piece of drywall mud. So all the little nail holes and all the tape joints, that is an open, porous, bonding uh, success. But in the field where the paper was between, that's where you'll find the, the failure. Um, is, is this on a ceiling that has an attic above it? Yes, there is with uh, an attic fan. But... Uh I'm yeah. just one of my worries is that being how the house was built in '79, is there any chemical concerns I should have about getting this scraped off and nope. removed? Nope. If you'd said '77, I'd say yes. But 1977 was the last time anything could be manufactured. So '79, you're not going to face asbestos. You're just facing a bumpy, pebbly ceiling. Um, but you, I would say now. Uh, Gary, with an attic above, uh, whole house fan or not, make sure your attic is properly ventilated because the other thing that happens if you have too much moisture that builds up in the attic in the wintertime uh, or then the summer, you just steam that popcorn ceiling right off of the, off of the drywall above. But I, I agree with your son. You have to mechanically pull that stuff off. It's like rust on a car. You, if you think you got it, you go a little bit further, uh, like cancer in a medical thing. You, you don't stop when you get the obvious stuff. You start looking for the rest. Uh, so go looking for trouble. Um, and, and oftentimes when we see that happening, and it happens from now over the next five years, you might see more and more and more of this stuff. Uh, scrape it down. You may wind up putting new drywall over the ceilings to get any kind of a semi-smooth surface because getting once you paint that stuff, you're still not making it stick to the to, to the underlying drywall paper any better than it did before. Well, I'm looking I'm looking at the large spot in the ceiling right now, and it's definitely drywall paper. Yep. And I can see where possibly there may have been some dust or something underneath there, but. Uh, I guess scraping all this off, I'm I'm going to be experiencing a, a dusty mess. Oh yeah, very very much very. I mean, the room gets emptied or at least covered over um, because it's going to become a dusty mess. And, and economically, uh, you can scrape it down and retexture it. The problem being that you're going to retexture a surface that really doesn't stick to what's above it, you know. And then that new stuff all falls off. So. Um, I would say at least half the time at, at Mosby, we recommend covering it over with drywall when you have a failed sprayed ceiling. They missed step number. Basically, you have a house with no foundation. You've got a, a sprayed on surface that doesn't stick to what's above it. That's, that's so it's not, it's not sticking to the drywall. Right, right. 
But don't miss the opportunity to make sure you get your attic ventilation because, you know, you can have kind of an okay sprayed on ceiling, but if your attic ventilation is bad and you have high humidity and then summertime and you're not venting that attic, you basically pressure cooker steam that poorly sprayed on popcorn ceiling right off the ceiling just by moisture penetrating, permeating from the backside, attic side of your drywall ceilings. And as far as like removing it, uh, I've had a couple of people tell me there are some unique tools that you can uh, build yourself and connect to a shop vac that will actually like, it'll vacuum it in so it doesn't oh, yeah. spread all over the floor. For the drywall finishing, sanding, is that what you're describing? Yeah. Well, for taking the, uh, for taking the uh, popcorn ceiling off. Oh, yeah, yeah but don't. Don't miss my thing. Even if you get all these really good tools, it's still a mess. <laughs> yeah. The the most important yep. part is prepare that room to set off a dust bomb in it, and then you'll be okay. I mean, cover everything, plastic, tape it to the floor, and then do whatever you're going to do. Well, thank you for the heads up. Yeah, the, the more preparation on the front end to expect and minimize the problems from the dust the happier you're going to be because it, it shortens, abbreviates, and makes better the coming cleanup when you're done. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you. All right, Gary. Good luck, my friend. Have a good day. All right. Bye now. There we go. Next up, let's take a short pause on University of Camel X. Scott Mosby. I'm getting a little windy here an hour or two. Imagine that. A guy like that? I'm on the radio. How did that happen? All right, back together, hour two, KMOX, Scott Mosby, at your service. Stay tuned, more coming. We've got uh, great shows coming up here on KMOX after this, so University KMOX lives on. Stay tuned, more coming. Hey, I'm going back through my notes from this hour. I wanted to put a couple things. Tom, who called in about the ductwork sound, um, intermittent kind of a motor sound, goes off all night long when, it, when everything gets really quiet in the middle of the night. He can hear that sound. Tom, another way to go that at that, if you're still listening or friends of Tom, uh, look for a water supply pipe or a ductwork vent metal, like for a bath fan or dryer vent or kitchen, whatever, um, that is touching the ductwork. So instead of eliminating the source of the sound, you can eliminate the transmission of the sound. So going back through my notes, I'm thinking, you know what, all he has to do is get that pipe away from the ductwork. And that, so if if there's any vibration or any motor going on or off throughout the uh, night or day, that sound will still occur. It just won't reverberate so soundly throughout the house because of the metal ductwork. That's a good one. Uh, let's uh, go to Phil here, see what's cooking. Hey, Phil, good afternoon. How can I help, my friend? Good morning, Scott. Yes, sir. Uh, five years ago when we built our house, we had the electrician install a whole house surge protector in our circuit breaker box. Mm -hmm. how, how can we be sure that that is still working and hasn't been knocked out by lightning or whatever? Uh, you're going to have to call the electrician to get that. Uh, uh, there there are two things, to, uh, Phil. Some have reset buttons, kind of a yellow button on it where, you know, it's kind of like the reset on a, a like a disposal or something in the kitchen if something happens. So some can be reset mechanically by pressing the button or like a GFCI outlet. Uh, and some are single use. The better ones that are more reliable actually blow out in your houses is um, <laughs> black. 
you're, you get no power. But those are very inconvenient. So if, if you have one, it'll be on the outside of your panel uh, and there'll be a reset button. If, the, if that's not it, then I, and, and to test it, you really need somebody with the gauges to come in and make sure they're working. So I would call the electrician that uh, did the wiring in the house or a good service electrician. This isn't rocket science to a good electrician. Okay, great. Thanks for the information, Scott. Yeah, Phil, good question. And, and by the way, I want, I want to kind of, you know, uh, promote these things. These are really good appliances rather than buy a protection on every appliance throughout the house. It's, it's a lot less co- – it, it's a big ticket item. It's not a cheap date to add on, but you're not buying 10 different things. So I, I like that you have that on your house. Great. Thank you very much. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Phil. And let's see what's happening with my buddy Joanne. Hey, Joanne, Scott here, KMOX. How can I help? Hi, Scott. Um, our spill plate is under um, below ground level, and um, yeah, the um, the owner before us did have part of it. She said she had the house jacked up and part of it replaced, mm. um, and we weren't smart enough to think that it would happen again. And now it's happening again. Um, we did have a company come in. They dug put some plastic along our foundation because we are getting some leaking in our basement as well. Um, but that has not helped. Um, one contractor suggested pouring, um, it's on the front of our house, pouring a porch. And um, could can you put concrete up against the sill plate? Is that a good idea? Um, it's not a great idea, but the issue there is, here's kind of what can happen. You can put a waterproofing membrane um, over the joint between your foundation and the brick or siding. What What is the outside of your house made of? It's brick. It's brick? Okay. Um, up on the chimney, if you have a brick chimney, there will be metal step flashing that is cut in or sealed to the mortar of your bricks. And then that metal comes down and laps over the brick which is a water shield uh, to keep the water from coming in at the joint between your roof and your chimney. You can use the same kind of flashing where you kind of groove out the mortar above the water line, and this can be a waterproofing, uh, like a, a rubber membrane. It can be a metal membrane. But once it gets down below the ground, it has to be something that termites won't eat. It will be waterproof. It glues to the foundation, and it bridges from the brick all the way down over eight inches over your foundation. So basically, you're going to put a roof over that joint. You follow me? Oh. Okay. And that can happen. So even if you put a patio on this house, which I kind of like it, that that's like a shed roof. That'll keep a lot of water from getting, but it will not stop the leak unless you put that flashing membrane between the house and either the dirt or the concrete or whatever. So it's the waterproofing flashing. You've got to get on there. Okay. All right, Joanne. Wonderful. Thank you. Goodbye. Good luck. Bye-bye. And that's a big deal. We see a lot of this stuff. So uh, anyway, just realize that it's more important to seal it, cover it otherwise. Stay tuned. Great afternoon here on KMOX.